Welcome to Macintosh and Maud Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And this week we are continuing our Roger Moore Bond series with Octopussy. A fake Fabergé egg and a fellow agent's death lead James Bond to uncover an international jewel smuggling operation headed by the mysterious Octopussy being used to disguise a nuclear attack on NATO forces. Mm. Thoughts? Opinions? I enjoyed this one. Really? It held my interest away more than the last two. Well, now that is true. I mean, okay, her name is Octopussy. <laughs> the whole thing with the tattoo. Like, it's very, it, there's a lot of hokiness, but it was more interesting to watch than the last two movies. I really wish they had not gone for dumb jokes as much as they did. Because if you'd have had the gravitas of For Your Eyes Only with the story of this movie, it would have worked really well. A little touch of fun here and there is fine, don't get me wrong, but some of it was outright ridiculous. True. Very much so. I mean, do we really need to see James Bond in a clown costume? Yeah. General, there's a bomb in that cannon. Sure, where else would a bomb be? <laughs> Great clown bit. I'm totally serious. I'm a British agent. What? For God's sake, tell him who I am. Kamal and Orloff double-crossed you. I saw them take the jewelry off the train. Does that convince you? Sir, that bomb is set to explode at 3.45. That's 90 seconds from now. General, this man's either drunk or crazy. <laughs> at, at, at this point we do and oof he's starting to show his age here Ooh, it's it's you know yeah. we talked about we really should have done the handover in the last movie yeah yeah this, how how far between the last one and this one how many years two years two years yeah and we're gonna go two years on the next one but still yeah by the end of four your eyes only we're like it's time yeah <laughs> The budget for this film was $27,500,000, roughly the same as the last one. Okay. U.S. gross was $67,900,000, and worldwide, I've got competing figures here. I'm going to go with the highest, $187 million, just slightly beat out, never say never again at the box office. Mm, yes. Which? Which came out four months after this film. So while I have not seen Never Say Never Again, I have already started looking at my research for Never Say Never Again, because it came out the same year and was in direct competition with this film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our writers. We have Richard Maybaum and Christopher Wood, but we also have George MacDonald Fraser, mostly known for comic novels, but he did write the Three Musketeers and Four Musketeers adaptations from the 70s. Okay. Which are very fun and witty. And Red Sonia, the original version of that film. Hmm. I've not seen any of those. It was his idea to set this movie in India. Okay. It was nice. It was a good place to set it, especially because I don't think we've been to India with Bond yet. I don't, I don't think we've been to India, and they went there and they stayed there. That's very true. Like, it takes place there. It's not just like this one-off location. Well, okay. A good third of the movie is in East Berlin, but... Okay, well, it's it's a heavily featured location. Yeah, but India is... We stay there for, like, a good half of the movie, yeah. It's just... Uh, at times, it's a very Britishized white view of India, 
and not a culturally appropriate idea of India at all. <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> the script incorporated a ton of unused elements from Moonraker. This included the twins with knives. The villain, Louis Jordan, who we talked about, was in the running for Hugo Drax. Okay. And the Acrostar jet. That's the jet from the opening sequence of this film. Oh, okay. The backgammon game that we see in this movie was supposed to take place at the bar in The Spy Who Loved Me. Hmm. They really are recycling a lot of stuff from those older movies, mm -hmm. not necessarily in a bad way in this one. It's not like it's... blatant script theft. It's, we didn't get to do this idea and we wrote it out really well, so let's put it in this movie. It's one of those things where it'd be really cool to have Bond do something like this, but it doesn't really fit in this movie, but it doesn't mean we can't do it later. Yep. That's what a lot of these movies are. And you have continuity with the production group. The only thing retained from Fleming's original short story is Octopussy's history. Okay. This is actually Ian Fleming's final short story that he ever wrote for James Bond. Her real name is Octavia Charlotte Smythe, okay. who we learn Smythe was a former double O agent who went rogue and decided to commit crimes and thefts. Ooh. And she took on the family business. And actually, in the original story, Octopussy was supposed to be the villain. Mm -hmm. She would be manipulating Bond into joining a vendetta against Spectre. But as we know, with all the lawsuits... They couldn't do Spectre. They can't use Spectre, so they scrapped that idea real quick. Okay. How do you feel about the writing on this movie? The jokes aren't as good. They don't land very well. They're so broad. So that takes, that's not great. The overall idea for the film is pretty good. Like I said, I actually enjoyed watching this one. So it's got a pretty good story and they filmed it decently enough. It's just, yeah, the, I think the jokes were the thing that were the most off for me about this. Because like, yes, he's womanizing like he does and, you know, James Bond. but. The jokes weren't very good. And that's the one thing they've done mostly right with Roger Moore. I feel like he's not delivering them that well either. It's almost like he's not trying because he doesn't like them. I mean, they're not good jokes. So how do you... It's, it's that thing of you can do everything you can to try to deliver a bad joke well, but it's still a bad joke. Mm. The other problem is this movie's got a lot of hacky jokes in it for a pretty dead serious comedy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the thing about the clown suit, it's just frustrating more than tension building mm -hmm. because it's supposed to be intense. A nuclear bomb is about to go off in an American Air Force base. Yeah. And he's in a fucking clown costume. Yeah, I don't think we needed the clown costume. We could have gone with a different kind of disguise. We've undercut all of the tension you've built in this scene. Yeah. How are you going to explain that away? Mm -hmm. You could have done a clown costume up top. You can't do it at the end. No. And not have it be, be believable. They went for a gag five too many times. <laughs> not one too many times. 18 like, million times too, more too than Too many to. times. Our director is John Glenn returning from For Your Eyes Only, and of course our director through the remainder of the series mm -hmm. up until Pierce Brosnan. I have one th note of trivia, which is he actually removed the filler up line when the plane lands at the gas station, but when he saw the reaction to it from the trailer, he had it added back in because audiences loved it. 
Fill her up, please. Okay. To be fair, that's a good James Bond joke. Oh, yes. Intense aviation sequence on a crazy plane lands at a local Cuban gas station to where he goes, fill her up. That's a James Bond joke. I will say, he's clearly learned something from the last movie he made. Mm -hmm. It feels paced better. It feels like it's moving better. Mm Mm-hmm. There's this constant sense like we're moving around a lot in this movie. There's just more action. We used to say this a lot to my stagehands in the theater world. Walk with purpose. Yeah. Like if your job is to go on stage and stare at a plant, you go to that plant and you stare at it. That's your job. That is your purpose. None of this lollygalling about when you're going back and forth. And it felt like every time we were in a scene, everybody knows their purposes. Let's get in. Let's do it. Let's get to the next scene. Which just made the film go faster. It felt faster. Because we'd have some, like, you know, some of the exposition scenes here, but it was like, okay, we're, but yes, we're walking, we're walking, we're walking. And in the last couple of films, it's been like, let's take our time and stroll through all of the stuff. I do feel like they did that right at the last quarter of the movie. Because, first of all, we get on this train, and we travel through fucking Berlin on the train, which takes forever to get through. That took a little while. Then we get through the circus scene, which is pretty good, except they undercut it with all this dumb gags. And then we have to go back to India, which, at that point, I'm going, could we not have just ended the movie there, catch the guy, and be done? Mm -hmm. And I know we've got to stop the Russian general, this other subplot we've created. But the last few movies we've seen have all been about the same amount of running time, like right about two hours. Yeah. This is the first one that did not feel two hours or longer. Yeah. I think it's just got this third act problem that it just kind of starts to melt. Mm -hmm. I listened to Friendly Fire, which is a great podcast from Maximum Fun. But one of the things they always talk about, because they're talking about war movies, Mm. is how do you understand the geography of where you are? Yeah. And how does that impact what you're watching? Sometimes you're supposed to be lost. You're supposed to not know where Mm -hmm. you are. But in this movie, I get lost half the time and I'm going, wait, we're in Berlin now or we're in some adjacent and now we're over. I don't know where we are anymore. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Our cast. We have... Roger Moore as James Bond. He's getting tired. He really is. Like, no offense to Roger Moore. He still does a good job. But the material either isn't up to snuff for him or he's just losing his desire to do this. And I think it's unconscious. It's not the Sean Connery bit of Mm -mm. us watching him and You Only Live Twice being like, oh, you hate this. Yeah, you're not interested in anything that's happening here. It's more that he's lost a little bit of that edge and sparkle. And it's not his fault. He's just aged out of the role. A little bit, yeah. During the filming of this movie, he was misdiagnosed with heart problems. Oh, no. But when he got home, Maude Adams had her boyfriend, who was a doctor, check him out for a second opinion, said he was completely fit. Who could have been better? Okay. Timothy Dalton. No. He's not on the list this time? On the DVD extras for this film, they have the screen tests for James Brolin. (sighs) They were going to offer him the role. Wow. But Roger Moore came back in and said, I'll go ahead and do it. Mm -hmm. And they had the choice to make. And because they found out that Never Say Never Again was going to be out that year. They couldn't risk it. They didn't want to take that chance on a new Bond. Mm -mm, They can't, especially after what happened with Lazenby. 
which Eon Productions totally fucked up. And then George Lazenby thumbed his nose at all of them. So that was a cluster. Rumors persist to this day. They are completely unfounded that Sean Connery was supposed to appear aside Roger Moore, possibly as the villain in this film, Mm. which that was never true. (laughs) We'll discuss some of that when we get to never say never again. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maude Adams as Octopussy returning from nine years before in The Man with the Golden Gun. Mm -hmm. She gets killed in that film and then they resurrect her for Octopussy. She's fine. She's fine, but I want somebody different. She's not compelling. And I think that's more her than how she's written. Oh, it is. It totally is. Octopussy's character is interesting. It's not like great, but it is interesting. And if you've got an actress who can chew a little bit of scenery. This is where an Elizabeth Taylor, Sophia Loren would have been amazing. Just somebody who just stand there and you just go, what is happening? Or a Diana Rigg. Fuck yes. But let me throw you out your actual who could have been oh, better. Okay, yes. Barbara Carrera. I know the story about that one. Who turned this, this down story. to be in Never Say Never Again because she wanted to work with Sean Connery. That's fair. I understand. And deemed too expensive for the production, Faye Dunaway. Hey, I'm not a huge Faye Dunaway fan. I think I've established that with uh, our coverage of Network. Hey. That's one movie. We needed somebody who's just, somebody who just stands there and oozes sex appeal. Faye Dunaway could have done that for this movie. She could have. Hands down. You haven't seen Chinatown and you haven't seen Bonnie that's and Clyde. That's fair. That's fair. She I, could do it. Okay. But I'm thinking about this time and I'm, my, who comes to mind is Diana Rigg, Elizabeth Taylor. Just stand there. Just stand there and be attractive. Ooh, even a Kathleen Turner. Yes. Yes. Love Kathleen Turner. Uh-huh. She's uh-huh. my jam. We get Louis Jourdain as Kamal Khan, French star. Mm-hmm. Some of his bigger credits include Madame Bovary, Gigi, Can Can, Irma LaDuce, A Flea in Her Ear, and 1982's Swamp Thing. He is in Gigi. He's good. He's one of our more chatty villains. He is a chatty villain. He's a, You're he's, right. He's a more chatty villain. I didn't hate him. He's not particularly special, but you want to know who gives me those vibes? Javier Bardem's Bond villain. Yeah. I get a lot of that that vibe from him. Here's a thought. Would he have been better in Moonraker? Would he have been a better Hugo Drax? Ooh. If he brought this flavor, if the, the chattiness to Drax, it definitely would have been more compelling. Yeah. I mean, I don't hate what they were going for with no. Drax, this sort of very Orson Welles slash Adolf Hitler vibe. But yeah, but then you need Orson Welles. Well, obviously. but I, Yeah, you need someone who can be Orson Welles. Man, they got the right guy. It's just kind of a boring movie. That's mm-hmm. the problem. And it was badly written. But this kind of flavor in that movie would have definitely been good. Yeah. You're not wrong. Christina Wayborn as Magda. Okay, she's the one with the octopusy tattoo. Yes. She's more interesting than the Mata, than actual octopusy. She is. I wanted more of her than I did of octopusy. Because, okay, because I'd never seen this. I thought she was going to be octopusy. No. Because you get so much of her. She is very sexy. I do love the whole like coming down from the balcony thing in the dress. That's cool. I saw that and I was like, okay, this is a cheap trick, but I love it. She is the first Bond girl in quite some time that I'm like, 
you have some spark and I can tell you'd have been really great if they'd have cast you in this league mm-hmm. and really gone all in. She definitely has some spark. So she was a Swedish model. Okay. But her biggest claim to fame was she played Greta Garbo in The Silent Lovers. Oh. Mostly to TV work after this, not much else. That shawl stunt was performed by her. Her dress acted as a support mm-hmm. unwinding to the ground. And the fall was filmed in Pinewood Studios, while the landing was filmed in India on location. That makes sense. You can tell they're not the same. <laughs> that's okay, but that's cool. I mean, a lot of um, Ariel Silks artists do that exact same thing, so yep. it's it's totally doable. It's just that this was way before Ariel Silks was a whole thing. <laughs> no, they were a thing. It just wasn't as widely known or recreational now. I guess that's that's what I mean. It, yeah. it wasn't. It hadn't become yeah. something that was widely done by the public. Correct. And she actually broke several toes in her foot during the circus attack sequence. Oh. She was supposed to kick a bazooka in the scene that was plastic. Mm. Turns out they hadn't replaced the prop. So she kicked a full-on metal bazooka with her foot. Oh, yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Ouchie. Bad actor or prop person. Prop people. It could be either. Mm. On to our arpons. First, we have Kabir Bedi as Gobinda, our turbaned henchman. Okay. The biggest thing about him is he is a giant big deal Bollywood actor, had some American TV roles, and to date, he is the only Bollywood actor to appear in a James Bond film. Oh, interesting. Stephen Burkhoff as General Orlov, our bad guy Russian general dude. Okay. He's important because we've seen him before. He was Detective Constable Tom in Clockwork Orange. He's the guy with the sweaty blue shirt in the spitting in the face scene. Oh, great. Yeah. But we do have a who could have been better for this. Rutger Hauer. Rutger Hauer. Oh, can you imagine another another person who could have chewed some scenery in this movie? Oh, yeah. That man can chew some scenery. I mean... This is the year after Blade Runner, so we'd already oh, seen yeah. him do like Tears in Rain. Now imagine him as mad, head shaved Russian general. Yeah. He'd be amazing. That would be cool. We have the return of Desmond Llewellyn, Lois Maxwell, Walter Gattel, and Jeffrey Keane, mm-hmm. including Q's first integral in mission role. Mm-hmm. We see Q on mission with Bond through this movie. Yeah, that was fun. That might have been the most fun part of this movie, is the quips and the picking on each other like an old married couple the whole movie. Uh, Q, how are you? Most unhappy 007, thanks to you. How can I be expected to maintain the quality of my work? Sent out here at a moment's notice, no proper facilities. Yes, well, you wouldn't have a smaller piece of thread than that, would you? Curious, somebody seems to have stuck a knife in my wallet. They missed you. What a pity. Karen, see to that, will you? I have uh, also mislaid my PPK. Anything else? Oh, it's okay. Yeah, that was fun. I like that. Like, do you see what kind of conditions I have to work in? (laughs) See, and like, they just, they peppered in that kind of levity pretty well. Yep. So that helped the movie move along well. And we do have a new M. We do. We have Robert Brown. He played Admiral Hargreaves in The Spy Who Loved Me. VJ Armitrage playing VJ. He is one of our Indian contacts, the very tall guy. He's great. 
He is great. I loved I loved having his character in this in this movie. This is his film debut because he was the top tennis player in Asia for 14 years and a top-level professional tennis player forever. Oh wow. Um he also played the starship captain in Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. Okay. And he's had some other bit roles here and there. Mostly now he's doing commentator work in India for tennis broadcasts. And there was a dispute with Equity over hiring him because he was not a member of the union. So Albert Broccoli had his good friend Leonard Goldberg feature VJ on an episode of Fantasy Island, his first actual credit, okay, so that he could get his SAG membership and approval from the union. Okay. It's just more of those Albert Broccoli connections of, hey, my good friend who runs Fantasy Island or maybe ABC, can you just put him on the show real quick so that we can put him in our movie? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how it works. I know. It's just this is the man of every fucking connection ever. An obscene amount of money, too. <laughs> our song, All Time High with Rita Coolidge. Sun blows. The song made the top 40 charts for like 37 or something, but it hit number one on adult contemporary. Oh. I'm embarrassed by you adults. Oh. Adult contemporaries where songs like this go. Ugh. Gross. Gross. We saw the credits, though. The song was written by John Barry, who, you know, did all the scores for this stuff. Mm-hmm. The lyrics are by Tim Rice. I'm, I'm embarrassed. Tim Rice. Of Alan Menken and Tim Rice. I will say, if you actually look at the lyrics of this song, they're not bad. The lyrics are pretty good. I need to pump up this jam. Oh my god. Somebody needs to save this okay. music from the maudlin. There is a different version. The British band Pulp covered this song oh. at one point. Okay. Put a little Britpop flavor on it. I think it might be pretty good. Gadgets! Gadgets! We have the Seiko wristwatch with radio finder and listening device and the fountain pen. Cool. Such a complicated combo for that. Yeah. And then also in the fountain pen, we find nitric and hydrochloric acid. Mm-hmm. Now, the funny part about both of these gadgets is we may remember them from something we watched very recently, Casino Royale. Oh, yeah. These gadgets were More a little in-joke similar. to those gadgets that they actually came up with in that movie. All right. And in fact, Roger Moore makes a dumb poison letter joke, just like Peter Sellers made in Casino Royale. I like that. We have the fake crocodile submersible. Okay, that was amazing. (laughs) I laughed so hard and was so excited to see that. That's a good Bond funny joke. That is a totally in Bond joke. It could only be funnier is if they had one on land when he's going through sand dunes and he's a snake. That's the only way it could be funnier. (laughs) That's the only thing that makes it funnier. We have the fake horse trailer that's hiding the Acrostar jet. Yeah. As they're driving along, you can tell. It's like, that's a fake horse's ass. That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. We have the loaded dice for the backgammon game. Mm Mm-hmm. We have the attache case with the balm inside of it, the TV watch, and the yo-yo saw, a rotating circular blade tied to a string, killing people like a yo-yo. That's stupid. It was stupidly used. It's a great concept that they made really dumb. They made it really dumb, and nothing would ever function like that. At least with a lot of the other gadgets, you could see how 
something could actually function that way. The yo-yo saw, no. The way you have to do that is you have to have an actual yo-yo that has a saw insert come out of it so that it's yeah. small. It's got to be tiny. And then somebody just laughs. It's like, you have a fucking yo-yo. And you have, and then... to, you have to be spinning it. You can't just be going boom, up and down, up and down. I know. No. Stuntman Martin Grace, better known as Roger Moore's complete double through yeah. everything, had a pretty bad accident on the train stunt. The train went into a non-assessed area of track and he hit a pylon. He was hospitalized for several months, including unspecified injuries to his leg and hip, but he did make a full recovery. So he still has all his limbs. He does. It just, that, that had to hurt. They have a track record. Also during that sequence, when the car like flies off the track and into the river mm-hmm. and we see several people in a boat, that was not planned. Oh, those were stunt people in the boat and the stunt was supposed to go differently. Mm-hmm. But when the car came at them, they immediately jumped out of the way just in time before the car actually hit them. How? And they kept that take. In fact, I mean, it's a good take. If you're I, I actually had seen the trivia for that. So then I'm watching the sequence and I can see the guy running off the side like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. <laughs> Also, the actor that was using the yo-yo buzzsaw mm-hmm. broke his arm when he fell off the balcony onto Octopussy's bed. Oh. But he insisted on completing the rest of his scenes, despite the fact that he had to wear a cast. I respect that. During the cabbie chase, a cyclist rode through the vehicles that were chasing each other that was not a part of that shot. The hazards of filming in a densely populated place like India. Fair. The elephant hunt sequence. Oh, God. Was an explicit throwback. At the second I saw those fucking elephants, I was like, oh, God, and that's damn shoes. To Harry Saltzman's elephant idea for Man with the Golden Gun. Oh, salty. <laughs> salty in his elephant shoes. <laughs> While traveling between England and India, designer Peter Lamont, who we've talked about many times, actually was on a plane that was hijacked. The Acrostar Jet. Okay. Little zippy plane that can go super crazy. It's a zippy plane. It was 12 feet long with a single micro-turbo jet. It flew at 160 miles per hour, soared at 310 miles per hour, and could climb to 30,000 feet. That's cool. It was piloted and owned by J.W. Corky Fornoff, who acted as an aviation consultant on Moonraker. And, of course, the jet was intended to be used in that film. Hmm. To get the effect of the jet flying through the hangar, they attached the plane to an old Jaguar with the roof cut off Okay. and put it on a pole, and then they drove it through the hangar while it was flying through. So I think the pole's there so they can lift it up to rotate it sideways. Yeah. And then the second unit went in and filmed the same sequence, but putting obstacles in the way of where the flight path would be, and then they imposed the takes over each other. The actual exploding hanger that we see was four inches tall. <laughs> Adorable. I love a miniature. It's a giant fucking explosion on screen. Like, I'm like, damn. And then you find out, eh, it was a miniature. They're just that good at it. And that plane is now hanging from the ceiling of a restaurant in Clearwater, Florida. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Blue octopi are actually incredibly dangerous and produce the same toxin as pufferfish. Oh. One milligram can kill a human with no known antidote. Ooh, okay. According to Roger Moore, the eyeballs Louis Jordan ate for the sheep's head were made out of marzipan. Good. (laughs) 
Penelope Smallbone, mm-hmm. who is Money Penny's assistant, was actually named after a model who appeared in the opening of Spy Who Loved Me. She went by Perry Small, but her real name was Penelope Smallbone. Wow. And at one point, Lois Maxwell flubbed the line and called her Penelope Smallbush. <laughs> to which Roger Moore immediately retorted, we all know what your mind has been, Money Penny. Yeah, that sounds right. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. And finally, before the Princess Bride rocketed him to semi-stardom, Carrie Elwes said in his memoir that he was a PA on this film, driving Roger Moore to and from work every day. He said he was a nervous wreck, driving, constantly afraid that he was going to get in an accident. Oh, yeah. And at one point, Roger Moore looked up from his newspaper and just said, you know, you can speed up a little if you want to. (laughs) That's cute. All right. Not a lot of trivia on this movie. Not a lot to talk about. How many Croco Marines are you going to give this film? I knew you were going to do that. I'm going to go two and a half. Really? Yeah, because I actually enjoyed watching this one. It's not perfect by any means, but it's not pure garbage. Like, there's stuff I changed. They should have punched up some of the jokes better, but I enjoyed watching it. Mm. It wasn't a slog. See, it wasn't a slog, but I kept feeling like I wanted something else. Like, at almost every point, I went, well, you made a fine decision here, but you could have done three other things that would have been really better. I'm going to give it a two. Okay. I just sort of was like, there's something missing in just about every moment of this movie, and I don't quite know what it is, but... eh. Okay. Well, next week, it's the last one. It's the last one. For now. For now, yeah. Maybe the best theme song in the entire series, and that is hard to say. Ooh. Wow. And some big name stars coming up in this one. Ooh, all right. A View to a Kill. It's a really awkward name, but it, we since we've mentioned it a lot in this episode, we are going to cover Never Say Never Again, and it's going to be one of our Patreon exclusives. So if you want to hear us talk about Sean Connery, being close to 60 while still being younger than roger moore somehow (laughs) so we're going to talk about that that's going to come out here soon so if you want to listen to that and listen to all of our other exclusive patreon content including our coverage of 1967's casino royale oh boy oh boy you can go to patreon.com slash macintosh and mod and join at the two dollar and up level we have a new patron Hey! We have Laura. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much, Laura. Uh, this is a new Laura. We have two Lauras. Uh, so I'm not going to say your last name because I don't want to do that to you. But thank you, new Laura. Thank you so much. Thank you. We love having our patrons. They're so sweet. And just thanks for supporting doing this funny show where we complain to each other about movies. Mostly. Mostly. Sometimes we exalt them. We do. We 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 love some of our movies. We're not at that point of the season yet. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming. We're going to get through Kubrick. We're almost done here. And then we're going to... It's going to be a weird summer. <laughs> yep. All right. Until next time. Bye, everybody.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Mm-hmm.